Well, a very good morning to you again, and this morning we are concluding um, our sermon series on the nature of Scripture, and we're concluding it with a discussion of the Church and the Word of God. And for our very last uh, of these church historical lead-ins, we're going all the way back to 1528 to what is called the Ten Conclusions of Bern, uh, which is a very important document for the Reformation in Switzerland in particular. So I want to read uh, Theses 1 and 2 from the Ten Conclusions of Bern. These two items have to do with the relationship between the church and the Bible. Number one, the holy Christian church, whose only head is Christ, is born of the word of God and abides in the same and listens not to the voice of a stranger. Theses 2. The Church of Christ makes no laws and commandments without the Word of God. Hence, human traditions are no more binding on us than they are founded in the Word of God. Now, especially in that second thesis there, uh, you can hear the echoes of the disputation that the Reformers were having with the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was contending that human traditions were binding on the people of the church. And of course, the reformers took issue with that. Well, once again, God bless you until we meet again in just a few moments for the sermon. Lord God, we are thankful this morning that even in this time that we are living through now, which is trying for so many of us, uh, it's testing our endurance and testing our patience. We are so thankful, Lord, that your steadfast love endures forever. Before this time, through this time, after this time, eternally, your steadfast love endures. Lord, thank you for the stability and the assurance uh, that that fact gives us. And Lord, your word will stand forever. Your word is standing right now, and it stood yesterday, and it will stand tomorrow, and it'll stand one billion years from now, and a billion years after that. Your word will stand forever. We thank you, Lord, uh, for this rock-solid foundation and base that we have uh, to lean upon and to land on. And Lord, now as we open your word, I pray for help uh, as the one preaching that you would come and draw near and Lord, help me to be a conduit that would glorify your name. And I pray, Lord, for those listening also, that you would give us alertness, uh, that we not be passive as we listen. It is so easy to be passive sitting in front of a computer screen especially. But Lord, we, I pray that you would give a, uh, an alertness and a zeal even in the listening. So help us, Lord, be glorified in this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we come now to the final sermon in this 11-part uh, series of sermons on the nature of Scripture. And just a reminder to you, I know it was announced earlier in the service uh, by Robert, uh, but if you haven't done so already, if you want to join us on Friday night for the technically what will be the 12th part uh, on the canon of Scripture, uh, just send me an email and we'll be sure to get you connected on Friday. 
One of the basic things that we plan to stress on Friday evening is this, that the church did not create the Word of God. It's actually the opposite. God's Word creates the church. We, the church, are created, we are brought into being as the church by the Word of God. To be a part of Christ's true church is to be born again through the, the living and abiding Word of God, as it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 23. The Word of God creates the church. Another way to say this is, as Carl Truman has put it, that the church is the action of God in history. The church, what's the church? The church is the action of God in history. Just as under the old covenant, God himself dictated the blueprints for the earthly tabernacle and temple that he wanted, and then dwelt personally in that temple when it was completed, it's the same in New Covenant days. God dreams up, he designs, and in grace he builds his new temple, the church. And he builds it for his purpose and his mission in his world. And the cornerstone of this new temple in the church, Robert uh, prayed this earlier, the cornerstone, the, the primary supreme stone upon which the entire temple is aligned is God's Son, Jesus Christ. The church is built, says Ephesians 2.20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And this is very important. The words and the commands and the instructions and the encouragements of the, the apostles, of the prophets, of Jesus himself, all of whom are mentioned in this verse, the instructions, encouragements, words, and commands of the apostles, prophets, and Jesus himself are found where? We have their divinely inspired, inerrant, clear, and sufficient words in the Bible that God has supplied us with. The church neglects the word of God to its great peril. Since the Word of God creates the church, since the Word of God is God's direction for the church, since the Word of God maintains the church and sustains the church and reforms the church and renews the church, the church must make the Word of God primary and central to all that it does. 
John Stott's words are, I think, very worshipful and very excellent here. Stott says, The word of God is the scepter by which Christ rules the church and the food with which he nourishes it. One more time, the word of God is the scepter by which Christ rules the church and the food with which he nourishes it. Listen, my friends, the the unbelieving culture around us is more than happy, more than happy to condition us to its values, to its desires, to its purposes. It's more than happy to do that. In a digitized connected world, we are bombarded, aren't we? We are bombarded every day with messages and with allurements from the culture, whether those messages and allurements are forceful and recognizable or whether they are subtle and almost um, imperceptible. The winds of all sorts of godless ideas are constantly blowing in our faces. The church, the colony of heaven on earth, the church, must stay centered and saturated in the words of God. The Bible must be made central in the church and it must be kept that way against all buffeting to the contrary. The Word of God must be stubbornly held up and pronounced and promoted in the church. The Word of God, again, in the words of Stott, the Word of God is the scepter by which Christ rules the church, and it is the food by which he nourishes it. If the church decides to turn its gaze away from the centrality of God's word toward other fascinations, other things that it thinks should be primary, whether those things be community service projects or the development of the greatest music program ever conceived or whatever, the church turns its gaze, its primary gaze, off the word of God toward other things, then the church has lost its way. It has lost sight of the divinely ordained, divinely potent means by which God creates his church. We must make every effort as the church of Jesus Christ, to keep his word central. The book of Acts uses interesting words like increase and spread when it talks about the word of God. Acts 6 verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The word of God continued to increase. 
Acts 12.24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 13.49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Today's church in 2020 must get on board this train. We must take our cues from this. How do we do our part, our small part, as human beings, born again, saved human beings? How do we do our part to increase God's word and to spread God's word? Well, as we said last Sunday, expository preaching of the word must be insisted upon in our churches. And Bible studies and small groups must adamantly center on the Bible and not as much on sort of subjective, individualistic reactions to the Bible. Sunday school classes must permit God's Word to have the floor at every level and with every age group. Individual believers mentoring other believers must habitually open their Bible and prayerfully study their Bible and know their Bible and speak their Bible and minister their Bible. When we have opportunity to speak into the life of a lost person, our mind and our heart must be filled with the Word of God and our speech must be seasoned winsomely with the Word of God. A healthy church is a church where at every level, God's inspired, authoritative, inerrant, clear, necessary, sufficient, and potent word is made central. Made central. And listen, a healthy church member is one who understands that his or her own individual reading of Scripture is always, I want you to listen carefully, always dependent on the corporate reading of Scripture. Again, a healthy church member is one who understands that his or her own individual reading of Scripture is always dependent on the corporate reading of Scripture. What do I mean by this? Here's what I mean. As Timothy Ward has pointed out in his book on the nature of Scripture, whenever I, as an individual, come to a passage of Scripture in my own individual devotional time, I must remember, I must understand, in Ward's words, I must understand that the text that I am studying or reading, that text has been, in Ward's words, read, prayed over, wrestled with, talked about, and taught for two millennia before I was born. Ward continues, those millennia have produced 
settled convictions about the Bible's most significant teachings, as well as reliable practices of interpretation. Our primary attitude, he says, towards these things ought humbly to be that of a learner and not a critic. Close quote. Well, yes, I agree with Ward. In general terms, friends, we must remember this general rule. Novelty in biblical interpretation is generally a dangerous thing and often leads down the path of heresy. Again, novelty in biblical interpretation is generally a dangerous thing and often leads down the path of heresy or error. I remember talking to a friend once who was studying chemistry in university, and he told me that science textbooks go out of date pretty much the moment they're printed because there are so many constant and rapid advances in the scientific field. I remarked to him that in the area of theology, it's generally the opposite case. The best books on Bible and theology are so often the old books, uh, books that are hundreds of years old. Again, novelty and innovation when it comes to interpreting the Bible is generally speaking a cause for alarm. In our reading of the Bible, church, we must learn to read and to interpret Scripture with the church. We must learn to read and interpret with the church, with the millions of saints who wrestled with the Bible through centuries before we were born. The transhistorical church informs our reading of Scripture and, in many cases, corrects our reading of Scripture. Matthew Barrett puts the matter like this. He says, quote, We are to read Scripture in the community of the church, always standing on top of the shoulders of others, as opposed to reinventing the wheel each time we approach a passage. He says, Where we are blind, others can see. And it is often necessary to borrow their hermeneutical or their interpretive light. Close quote. In one of the early sermons in this series, we talked about the difference between sola scriptura and solo scriptura. The idea with the Reformation principle of sola scriptura is that the Bible is the supreme and final authority for the church. The Bible is the supreme and final authority for the church. The church stands under the authority of scripture. However, the church is still an authority in God's design. It's just that it is a secondary authority under the Bible. 
One way to think of it is like this, that the Bible is the constitution that God gave, and the church that God gave is the court of law who interprets the constitution and stands under the constitution. The corporate church is necessary for the interpretation of supremely authoritative scripture. That's all in keeping with sola scriptura. But the idea with solo scriptura, again, is very different, and it is very wrong, although it's very common in the evangelical church today. The idea with solo scriptura is that I, as an autonomous individual, I am free to interpret the Bible how I want by my own standard And what this invariably means is that I am basing my reading of the Bible on my own reason and on my own judgment, even if I am pretending that my reading is a spirit-led reading. In this situation of solo scriptura, Keith Matheson says, in this situation, all that occurs is that one Christian measures the scriptural interpretations of other Christians against the standard of his own scriptural interpretation. Rather than placing the final authority in Scripture, as sola scriptura does and intends to do, this concept of solo scriptura places the final authority in the reason and judgment of each individual believer. And then he says this, very important. He says, the result is the relativism, subjectivism, and theological chaos that we see in modern evangelicalism today. Close quote. My friend, always remember this that your individual reading of Scripture must be fed by, it must align with, the orthodox consensus reading of the spirit-enlivened community of saints across the ages, the church. Novelty in biblical interpretation and theology is, generally speaking, a bad thing. Well, in last place this morning, I want to talk for our remaining moments on the posture, the posture that we as God's church must take as we approach the Word of God. Our posture or our disposition before the Word of God. And here, I'm praying that God's Spirit will be pleased to check each and every one of us and to provide course correction where he deems necessary. As a pastor who is regularly tasked with preaching the Word of God, it's always dismaying to me, I would say, dismaying when listeners understand themselves as observers of the preacher, observers of his sermons, 
instead of understanding themselves as participants in the Word of God. And what I mean is this. There are some people who listen to sermons every week in a largely detached, passive sort of a way. These people are more interested in measuring the preacher's performance, the preacher's style, critiquing the preacher's dress. Then they are interested in coming under what God is saying to them in the Word of God that the preacher is laboring to bring. God forbid... May it not be. May it never be. Know this, and know this very well. The expository preacher of God's word is passionate, every time he comes into the pulpit, passionate that God speak to his congregation through the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a person who is passively detached, as we've described, I plead with you to do whatever is necessary, do whatever is necessary to move the preacher aside in your perception, ask the help of God to do that, and open yourself to God confronting you with his holy word. Become an active, eager listener to what God is saying to you. God wants, to, wants you to encounter him through his word and by his word. He wants you to encounter him. God is in the business of redescribing your reality in his word. God wants you and he wants me to change by his word. No matter our age, no matter our background or our situation, God always wants, listen, he always wants to recreate us, to form us, to reform us, to sanctify us, to wash us by his word. God, in his word, is interested in interrupting us and disrupting us, and destabilizing us, and restabilizing us, and restoring us, and converting us by his word. He desires to bring something brand new to pass in us by his word. I really love what William Willimon says here. He says that ultimately, in ultimate terms, by his word, God desires to do what? He desires to make us relevant to the way of Christ. I love that. He desires to make us relevant to the way of Christ. Willimon says it like this. Quote, we come to a biblical text raising questions about its relevance to our present daily lives only to find that the text questions us 
about our relevance to the way of Christ. (laughs) Yes, friends. By his word, God wants to reorient our entire perspective. Change our paradigm. God wants to unsettle our settled arrangements. There is so much work for God to do in us by his word. Uh, Greg Allison says that the word of God, listen to this, he says the word of God confronts us in our disobedience. Are you allowing God's word to confront you humbly as you stand under it, confront you in your disobedience? Allison says, confront us in our disobedience. It confronts us in our faithlessness, in our pride, in our underdevelopment, in our legalism, in our selfishness, our xenophobia, our lethargy, and the Word confronts us in a host of other sins. And the Word of God in the confronting demands reformation. It demands reformation. Yes. No doubt His Word is life. It is sustenance. It is light. It is divine encouragement to the church. To be sure, it is all those things. But the Word of God, we need to understand, is also adversarial. It is also confrontational toward our sin. It is designed, the Word of God is, to move us to repentance and to move us to holiness before Almighty God. Whenever possible, friends, we need exposure to the Bible. We need to let the Word of God in, to let it engage us, to let it interpret us, to let it question us. We need to be full-on attentive as we read the Word of God and as we listen to the preaching of the Word of God. We must guard against passive detachment. We must beg the Holy Spirit, beg Him, plead with Him to guard us from a nonchalant, yawning familiarity with God's Word. And so, my friend, I'm asking you to think about your own heart right now. Where is your heart at with the Word of God? Do you tremble at the Word of God? Does it take your breath away? And does it make your heart burn like it did for the disciples on the road to Emmaus? If not, then I would encourage you to lay yourself bare before God and plead with his spirit to do a fresh work in your life. The Bible... The Word of God that we have been celebrating, talking about over these past 11 weeks, the Word of God is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20, verse 32. You, my friend, 
shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4 God's word is no empty word to you, but your very life. Deuteronomy 32, verse 47. God's word has been breathed out by God himself, 2 Timothy 3.16, and in your life and in my life, the word of God is profitable, it is profitable for teaching us, for, for instructing us in the way of God. And the word of God is profitable for reproving us in our sinful attitudes and actions. God is never done with us on this side of glory. Profitable for teaching, for reproving. It is profitable for correcting us in our misalignment and in our misguidedness. And it is profitable, the Apostle Paul says, for training us in righteousness, leading us onward to full maturity in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the Bible is the most precious thing the world affords. The head of the church, Jesus Christ, promised to build his church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets the words of Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets are located in Scripture. May we, as his church, renew our commitment this very day, renew our commitment to his word, to the word of Christ himself. May we be zealous in our lives to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us, the word of God. May we always and forever hold fast to the word of life, Philippians 2.16, so that we glorify our head, Jesus Christ. May the Spirit work in us, may He work in us a fresh, burning desire to promote the Bible, to guide people to the Bible, to herald the Bible, to expound the Bible, and to obey what God says in the Bible. I'll leave you with this. Someone once asked Martin Luther about all of his monumental accomplishments during the Reformation. And Luther said this. He said, I simply taught God's word, preached God's word, and wrote about God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The Word did it all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are so good to us to not leave us as orphans, but Father, you have given us your Word written and your Word incarnate, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the Word. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in us and in our midst an ongoing, burning, never-dying flame for the Word of God, a zeal for it. 
And Lord, not to just keep it to ourselves, but to spread it as Acts says. Lord, that it would increase in Montreal and in Quebec and in Canada. This is our prayer. May you birth, Lord, churches that are passionate about expounding and preaching your word and getting your word out. These things we pray in the mighty, saving, powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.